This is episode number 120 of Relate on the Four Sacred Gifts with Anita Sanchez. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of Relate. We have a great episode for you today. We have an amazing guest joining us. Her name is Anita Sanchez. And if you do not know who Anita Sanchez is, she is amazing. And we talk about a lot of great things in this episode. We talk about the four sacred gifts and how all of us could do our part in our lives to cultivate these gifts and implement them into the world. Anita talks with us about her work in connecting hearts of people from around the world. She also talks a lot about indigenous wisdom and why this is so important for all of us to tap into, why it's so important for all of us to learn about. It's really a matter of connecting ourselves to nature and connecting ourselves to the world and also recognizing that we are a part of this world. We as human beings are not separate from this world, but simply a part of it. So Anita shares that with us. She talks about how in her work, she comes from a place of love and how no matter your background, it's important to come together and to relate to one another and express our humanity together. Anita also tells us a great acronym for the word HOPE that I think all of you will really enjoy. So you're all in for a great episode today. Now let me share with you a little bit more about Anita Sanchez. Dr. Anita Sanchez, Aztec and Mexican-American, is a transformational leadership consultant, speaker, coach, and author of the international best-selling book, The Four Sacred Gifts, Indigenous Wisdom for Modern Times. She bridges indigenous teachings with the latest science to inspire and equip women and men to enjoy meaningful, empowered lives and careers. So we have someone who is joining us with an amazing amount of experience. I'm so excited to share this episode with you all. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend who you think it might resonate with. Perhaps someone who would really benefit from hearing what the four sacred gifts are. So without further ado, let me please introduce our guest, Dr. Anita Sanchez. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Relate Podcast. As mentioned before, here is our guest, Anita Sanchez. Anita, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited that we had the opportunity to connect. Uh, Joan Blades, who is the co-founder of Living Room Conversations, who was on this podcast, I guess a few months ago now at this point, uh, she was kind enough to put me in touch with you after I had asked, oh, do you know of anyone who would potentially be interested in having a conversation about 
human connection and relationships. And she was kind enough to put us in touch. And you, you're coming from this uh, amazing background, both both a personal and professional background, that you've really created this inspiring career for yourself and for all those who who follow your work. And so th- thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you. And I, and you, uh, like all of us, relationships matter. And I do appreciate Joan um, passing my name on to you. And so then we get to we get to have this conversation and, and support your listeners. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. And I'm I'm wondering just to start off for our listeners, maybe if you could just share a little bit about yourself. Where does your journey begin in in pursuing the work that you're doing today? Yes. Well, I don't want to scare anybody off. I'm going to start at three, but I'm not going to take all the way through my life. <laughs> but it's important. It's important. At age three, um, I remember this dream, and this dream has been recurring. And in this dream, there I dreamt about the earth, a circle, and all these stick people of different colors and sizes. And what was really, really powerful about this dream is that our hands were on each other's hearts. And so when I went to kindergarten, when they asked, what are you going to be when you grow up? That's what I drew. And to this day, even when I go into C-suites and, you know, into different businesses or uh, global, global groups, uh, I share this because what I'm doing now is exactly that. I didn't have language for it, but actually it was pretty correct, which is that I, um, you know, train and consult. I'm an author. And basic at the heart of all of it is connecting hearts of people all around the world, learning how to understand what our gifts are, how we're connected, and how in that connection, in that one hoop of life, um, that amazing, miraculous things happen and we can all thrive. So that's that beginning is real important because Ultimately, I've been living my dream, Patrick. That's what's been happening. Uh, not to say there hasn't been hardships along the way, but that vision, that knowing how important relationships are of what my role is, has allowed me to move through those and do the different kinds of healing and work I need to do. I really love this story a lot. When we had chatted on the phone a little bit ago, you had mentioned this and it really resonated with me. Because it was something that, that you had done when you were so young, you just, as you just said, three years old. And I'm curious, when was it that you started to put, I guess, the puzzle pieces together regarding, oh, this was a drawing or a dream that I had when I was three years old. And then actually, this is now what I'm doing for my career. Yes. Well, that actually started happening when I was a teenager. Now, um, I, I went to work very early. I started working when I was 13 um, for financial reasons and the death of my father, actually the murder of my father, however, which was race related. Um, and as I began working and finding even that young of age, how how I had this gift for supporting people and connecting. And I was doing retail. I was working in Macy's department store. And, um, you know, it, I, I got made a manager. I was made a manager within one year of the temps and they didn't know my age. So I'm letting it be known out there. I guess I did lie at 13 in order to support my family. All of us who looked old enough after my father's death, we all went to work and finished school. So by 16, I'm in college and um, the dream just kept happening and happening and happening. And so when I was scared, um, leaving my family, first time ever to leave them, I just, this dream, this vision of what was being called 
was stronger that allowed me to be able to then eventually come to Colorado at 17 and leave all 121st cousins, family, everyone there in Kansas City and move forward on the leadership and the the things that I'm meant to do in the world. Yeah, it's, it's really inspiring hearing about your story. If you don't want to dive into this, completely okay. Definitely understand. But I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on, on the impact of your father's death and how that then informed the work that, that you then started doing and then also the work you continue to mm-hmm. do today. Yes. Well, it did have a, a big one. Of course, the dream was the foundational piece. But when my father, uh, at 13, so my father was an alcoholic and there were six kids and my mom. And usually after work, he would go around to the corner bar, just around the corner, have a beer and then come home. And that summer in 1967, he did just that. And my father was dark complected. He shoveled cold. So he'd get really dark complected from the flames. OSHA wasn't big back then in the 60s. And um, so he was darker complected. Well, earlier that day, a black man and a white man were having an argument. Again, it's the 60s. We're we're in the uh, mostly black neighborhood. And um, the white man returns and just sees the profile of my father and shoots through three bullets through his head and kills him on the spot. Wow. Yeah. I was just taking a breath. I always remind everyone and even listeners just take a breath because we're all, we're all seeing scenes, not specifically this, but, but you know, the killing, the death of, of dark skinned people, particularly black people, the darker the skin, the more we're becoming uh, aware of this. And so um, when, so this happened, but what happened a week later in some ways was just as powerful in guiding me to what I'm doing in diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is a week later, a white woman and her young white son, who was probably around my age, came to our door and she introduced herself as the wife and son of the man who murdered my father. And I was standing there by my mom and she said, I had to come, Mrs. Sanchez. I just had to come and see you. You need to know my husband is a good man. He never would have killed your husband if he knew he was Mexican and Native American. He thought he was black. She, so, so, and then she went on and started saying, I won't say this on it, but just horrific. The all, the worst stereotypes, the worst kind of, you know, dark heart kinds of things she started saying about black people. And my mother began shaking. And then I, this is the only time I ever heard my mother scream at a stranger. And she just screamed at her and said, stop, stop. You don't even know what you're saying. You don't even know what you're teaching your son. I want you to know that I'm going to try really hard to pray for your soul, but you get off my porch. And that night, my mom gathered us six kids and she said, I want you all to know a white man murdered your father, not the white race. I believe most people are good, but there are people out there who who are afraid of you and will hurt you. And then she went on and she opened the newspaper and there was a picture of my father in a pool of blood on the bar floor. And she said, now this has to stop because when a white person gets there's violence, they don't show that all over the paper. But in Kansas City in the 60s, uh, when a person of color. They didn't call it that then. A black person, a Mexican, an Asian person, or Native American, they show it all. And she said, this has to stop. And so I do know that that played a role. And the other part that played a role on what I chose to do, so the dream, 
what she said. And after the police had left that first day, when my right after my father had been murdered, and she, they came and told us what happened, I remember sitting there sobbing and um, shaking. And then a voice came through my body. It didn't sound like my voice, but it was a voice that said, Anita, this will end in your life, lifetime. Anita, this will end in your lifetime. And so I think a combination of all those things and knowing that part of my work is to, part of my contribution to this world is helping people realize the strength of their gifts and that they're part of a whole one hoop of life, as we say in the indigenous communities in my tribe. And, and so I, I went into, no surprise to people, I went in, did my bachelor's, got my master's and my PhD, and uh, all of it set me off by age 23. I was consulting, training in Singapore at that time, uh, bringing together people whose countries were at war with each other through the World YWCA. Um, I began also training in, in businesses and government and corporations. And to this day, I'm still living my dream, which is to support people to understand how important the relationship between their head and the heart is. So between them it, with themselves and then that relationship with all the people in the rainbow, in the hoop of life. So it's truly, Patrick, I know there's dreams that are short-lived and long dreams, but I feel like mine has been so clear, not to say it's been easy, but so there's just lots of healing that's had to be done. However, I know that when I'm, things just happen, I'm able to make really uh, powerful contributions to individuals and then to whole organizations if I stay on course, stay on knowing that relationships matter, relationship with myself, with people and the earth itself. I really appreciate you sharing that story, Anita, because it, it not only shows just the, the immense amount of hardship and, and struggle that you've had to go through in your life, but not only that, but as being as young as you were too, I, I can't even imagine, but to also take that really traumatic experience and turn it into a way in which you can help people and bring people together, as you said, who are at war with one another and really figure out ways and methods for people to, as you said, to utilize the strength of their gifts. I think this is such crucial work today and will continue to be such crucial work moving forward. And I, I love I love what you how you talk about gifts too that that we all have these gifts and it's a matter of tapping into them and I know I know obviously the the book you wrote about the the four sacred gifts I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about that with our listeners and and why these gifts are so critical for all of us to tap into definitely so needed at this time so in the mid 90s. Uh, early 90s, actually, in 1994, I was going to change. At that point, I've already done more than 15 years of, of work in business and government, nonprofits. Again, diversity, inclusion, just bringing together people, hearts and minds. And um, But I was losing hope. I, I really felt like 
um, well, women aren't rising up fast enough and people of color are not rising up fast enough in these different systems. And even white men aren't rising up fast enough if they don't fit a certain mold. And so I started to think, no, and I'm tapping into people's belief systems. And this is hard work. This is not easy stuff. Uh, and I totally admire people who are willing to do it. And we all need to do it. But I was just not wanting to do this anymore. And so I ended up doing, as I had been already for some years, I volunteer each year with Native American youth at American Indian Science and Engineering Society. And so back then I was went to a conference and there were a lot of elders there, indigenous elders. And so I went running around to them and asking them, what am I supposed to do? And like a chicken with her head caught off. And then I teach my classes and helping people understand the indigenous youth that how to be in places that value some of them are antithetical to ours, but still hold on to your culture of your knowing that of our oneness and all of our values. And, um, and there was this hoop there on the third night. And it was a hoop was sitting in the middle of the room. It had hundred eagle feathers hanging from it. And this elder stepped forward, Don Coyas, a Mohican elder, and began explaining this. And this is where the gifts came from. It was a prophecy. A prophecy back in 1994 was that spirit came and said, the human beings, the two leggeds, have forgotten. They've forgotten how to be in healthy relationship with themselves, other people, other beings, earth itself. And that we were in a great winter time and it was going to get far worse. But the, one of the things that, the things that would help the human beings is to remember Remember that they're part of one hoop of life, not the North, not the South, not the developed, not the undeveloped, that they were part of one hoop of life. And that if they use these four gifts, if they use these gifts, they would bring back harmony and balance and connection within themselves with other beings. And so the four gifts are, because I don't want to let people, there's no secret. We want everyone using these gifts. <laughs> so the, the four gifts are, the first gift that was put in by 27 elders who came from all over the world, there was a call to come and they came and they sang and prayed in their different languages and traditions all over the world. And the first gift that they put into the hoop was the gift of the power to forgive the unforgivable, the gift of the power to forgive the unforgivable. Put that into your heart as you're listening. And then the second gift that they put into the hoop for all humankind, was the gift of the power of unity, the gift of the power of unity, and put that in your heart. And then the third gift that they put into the hoop is the gift of the power of healing, the gift of the power of healing, and put that into your heart. And then the fourth gift that they put into the hoop is the gift of the power of hope in action, the gift of the power of hope in action. And put that into your heart. And they said, use these four gifts. And the elders even said, they were so excited that these four gifts are going to take them back. And spirit said, these gifts are not just for you, are not just for your tribes and nations. These gifts are for all humankind to remember how to create harmony with themselves, other people, and the earth itself. And that's the prophecy of the four sacred gifts. And so when I heard that, Patrick, oh, just like it is right now, every time I say these gifts, my heart expands 
And I just, it's just, I decided, no, there's a reason that I'm supposed to be doing this work. And there are millions of us, just like in that dream, you know, there's millions of us all over the world doing it in our different ways, connecting hearts, helping us bring harmony, understanding how to be in healthy relationship with each other and the earth itself. And so I started integrated into my, at that point, I'm already a PhD and working with global corporations all over. And I began integrating these gifts into my work. And everywhere I went, whether it was in this country, the United States, or in other parts, and I'm being translated, every place people said, slow down. They wanted to write down the gifts because huh. it's universal, right? You could hear it. And that's why I slowed down for you and the listeners to really yeah. allow that to land in your heart. Because we know these, we know these gifts. They're for all of us. And we use them. I will say the 25 plus the years that I've used them now, it's made a huge difference in my life and the people that I've worked with uh, and encountered, it has for them as well. These gifts are, it, it really is, even just you talking about these gifts, it's very visceral hearing about these. And I, I, I really love what you said too, that really these gifts are within everybody and it's just a matter of, of tapping into them. And uh, I guess that that would be another question I have for you is wh what do you think are the best ways? Because I think these gifts, they, they all make actually a lot of sense. I, I don't think that they're too obscure or abstract at all. But how can we really get into the practice of of implementing these gifts into our lives? Yes. Well, I think you actually said it even in your question. It's get into the practice because it is a practice. So forgiving the unforgivable, I'll just use that one, um, requires practice to build those muscles. We were meant to forgive because with that way we release that energy that we're holding on to for something that hurt us or did or did not happen in the past. And we can get filled if we get stuck there with resentment and all sorts of things. And so when we forgive, we let that go, but we can start with the little things. Oh, you forgot my birthday. Oh, you forgot to get me that thing at the grocery store. We can let start letting go of just the little things and these big things that we're encountering around race and, you know, global warming, what we've done to the earth and other things. Then we build the muscle so we can do some of the bigger forgivenesses of hurts and pains that have happened, not only to individuals, but whole people. So one of the things that I do on this is, um, is first of all, not judge, um, People's ability to forgive the unforgivable is going to vary in the amount of time. Uh, but to be present in terms of starting each day with gratitude, I think that's true for any of these gifts, is that when we start with what we're grateful for, it doesn't take away the things that aren't working well, but what we're grateful for, it builds some resiliency and some muscle so that we can take on the others. And so when I, for example, I forgave uh, my father, who was abusive to me, I mentioned he was alcoholic. I forgave the man who murdered my father and the wife who said those horrible things. And I had to forgive myself because I actually, the 13-year-old boy, it took me uh, a number of years to not imagine him. I imagined him only being like his father, hurting and killing, if not literally, figuratively. And I realized from my hurt and pain I was doing the same thing that his father did to my father. He took away his humanity. And that's just it. So we don't want to stay in the pain 
And so to be able to forgive that gratitude and then really looking into what is happening in our, us. So that listening, listening is critical on all these gifts. So I began listening and I put up this armor so that I wouldn't get hurt. Patrick, I was going to let anybody hurt me again, not abuse me, not kill all this stuff. Well, yeah, it, it probably did protect me from some bad things, but it also kept out the good things. You know, I wouldn't meet all the amazing people. So starting college so early, I began seeing people here at the University of Colorado began seeing, said, well, you're a leader, you're a leader. And I, in my mind, I was going, oh, if they only knew, if they only knew. So that, that doubt, that critical person inside of you, it was starting to tamper down, tap down on my dream, my vision, what I knew was true and all these things. And so, but by not running away, by actually leaning in, to both all of these gifts, leaning into the forgiveness that needed to happen in myself and others, leaning into starting to take down that armor so I could trust. We can't be in unity if I don't trust you. How am I gonna right. how am I gonna have a real relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's some of the key things. There are many things, but I think key is gratitude, listening, so we can listen to what's happening inside our bodies, um, inside our hearts. Because sometimes our mind will be like a little gerbil, you know, just racing around. And so we need to listen because the truth is here. Our own, our own uniqueness, our own sacredness, our own contribution of why we're here. And I think Mother Earth, I think all human beings and COVID is sort of teaching us this. We need each other big time. So these four gifts of forgiveness, unity, healing, and hope, I have found that although I save them separately and allow them to land because different ones will be calling you, they are intimately interconnected. One helps the other, helps the other. It's like a big circle. It just keeps going and then weaving together. And it makes it so these tough times, these tough things that we are going through, uh, being able to have and know we have the capacity, we have the tools to be able to rise and move through them and create what we talk about all my relations one hoop of life and it means all of us yeah it's it's amazing and i would agree with you too uh, regarding these gifts that they speak to one another and it really each one allows us to grow in its own in in its own different way but also grow together at the same time. It really is this almost like magical, but then also innate characteristic or, or as you said, like a part of us. And I, I love to how it, it's about tapping into the wisdom or uh, indigenous wisdom. And I think this is a really important component too. I know that it's obviously central to who you are in, in your identity. And I think that really society would benefit into tapping into this wisdom as well. So I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit about that. Like what, what is meant by indigenous wisdom for those who might not be as familiar with it? Right. Thank you. Yes. Uh, my Aztecan grandmother is smiling as you said that, Patrick, because it's, it's truly, I'm here not just out of nothing. I'm here because of all the ancestors before, and so are you, so are all of us. So this indigenous wisdom, first of all, indigenous, um, really anthropologically, all of us are indigenous. 
because we know from science, which the first scientists, indigenous people knew too, we're from Mother Earth. We're from the Earth itself. We're made up of all the elements of the Earth and of the stars. That's that's who we are. And so, but indigenous wisdom or indigenous people are today, we're really talking about my people, the various tribes, different traditions around the world who have stayed in connection with the earth, with their original knowledge and wisdom. And they have kept that through, you know, genocide, different groups trying to kill whole groups of people. They've kept it through tough times and they've kept that through the good times to where this indigenous wisdom is so critical. And so we have places like United Nations, we have scientists all over the world in reports, for example, the one of the latest reports on the state of our biodiversity, in it, it says multiple times, it is essential, essential that we have indigenous wisdom, indigenous leaders involved to show us because, and this we all need to hear, 80 plus percent of the most biodiverse lands left on this earth, of the richest soils, the waterways, you know, life itself, all the different organisms, the most biodiverse lands, 80 plus percent are lands that are indigenous people are on. And that is not a coincidence. That is people who have been living in healthy relationship with the earth and one another. It's not to say they, I'm not romanticizing. It's not to say they haven't had fighting between each other, all that kind of stuff. But an underlying fundamental belief, worldview is that we are connected. We are not separate. Separation is an illusion. We are all one. And so they've lived in healthy relationship with the plants and the waterway. And so they don't pollute them. And even I take people to Amazon every summer, not this summer, but every summer for the last uh, 10 years. And the first thing that people, when we get in there, the first thing they say is they feel different. They go, Anita, what is that? I like, all of a sudden, little kinks in my body, I don't feel them anymore. And I said, it's called oxygen. It's clean air. <laughs> wow. We're not used yeah. to it. And then they immediately, through all the translation, they say, you know, it's kind of different. These folk, these people, the Ashwar and the Sapara people, they talk about this rainforest, not like they live on it, not like they're taking care of it. In the translation, are they correct? They're talking about it as they're part of the rainforest. And I'm just smiling from ear to ear right now, just even saying that, because just imagine, Patrick, what the world would be like if we looked at each other, if we looked at the earth as part of us. We're part of this living, amazing, you know, huge, multifaceted, diverse, and yet lots of commonalities being called earth and all of us. It's just as amazing. So that's what I mean by indigenous wisdom. And it's so critical because no matter what the issue we're talking about now, indigenous wisdom coming from a worldview of our connection can help us look at how to solve the resolution of these problems. And so now, rather than being visible, people like you, Patrick, and others are starting to raise up and say, wait wait, this group of people, we need to hear their voices and we need to learn from them. And so amplifying indigenous wisdom is really critical because then what happens, and I'll close with this so you can go to the next question, but when you do that, 
how you do that, the listeners, because I'm assuming a lot of listeners are not in practicing indigenous people, is go into your heart. Go in and begin asking questions, learning about your ancestors, learning about where you come from. Because white U.S., white Americans, you know, you came from Europe. It may have been hundreds of years ago. Go find out about your people and apologize to the earth. You don't have to literally go there. We're sheltered in so we can't. But go and apologize for your ancestors. You know, they went, they probably left not because they were romantic uh, uh, explorers. Most of them left because it was hardship. There was cruelty and, and religious bias and all these things happening. But go and ask forgiveness of that earth that your people come from. And it may sound strange, but do it. And I can't tell you how many people I hear from like, wow, I learned so much about who I am and some things I didn't like, but some things were powerful and, you know, and you get to heal all of that so that you can just keep going forward from you and bring your gifts. So this indigenous wisdom, ways of being in the world in connection Whenever I think about separation, it doesn't mean you don't focus in on things, but even when you focus in, you're always holding the whole, the whole hoop of life. And that is not a burden. It's a responsibility, but it is actually a joy. I I just, I never feel alone as a human being. I get lonely. That's a human condition. But I, when people say, oh, well, you're alone up there on the mountain. No, I'm not. I'm never alone. These trees are taking my carbon and giving me oxygen. This water I drink, uh, and I do, I'm sheltered in with my husband and my um, youngest son who's finishing engineering school. So I think when we really look at indigenous wisdom, we go in and indigenous wisdom will say, be discerning. You know, even what I'm saying, you know, be discerning. So go into your heart, go into your wisdom. It's there. We're all sacred beings. We don't all act sacred all the time, but it's in there. And that's the invitation. It's really beautiful. And I think what I, what I love about what you're saying too, is that it's just a matter of perspective, really uh, as a, a perspective in how we look at the world, how we look at the earth. And I love, I love what you're saying about really, we, we are a part of nature. We are a part of this world and to find the opportunity to ask for forgiveness for the earth, just because of all of what we've been doing and, and, the 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 negative effects that that we're having on the world because we're mm-hmm. not seeing it as a part of ourselves i think i i absolutely agree with what you're saying that we really do need to take the time to really appreciate this this world that we're on and to appreciate nature for for what it is and to also recognize that we are we are part of that as well i think it it's very easy for for us to see ourselves as something separate from the the world that we walk on from the from the sky and from the land and and but at the end of the mm-hmm. day because we are living creatures living on this on this land we really are a part of it it's and it's just that that change in perspective i think if if we had the opportunity to change that the, that perspective even just ever so slightly for everyone we can really make some great change when it comes to the current condition of of the natural world i totally agree for you and i think it's the natural world the footprint we put on 
the earth is also the footprint we put on each other. So as we're dealing with social justice, with Black Lives Matter, you know, so many people saying, but wait a minute, you know, Indigenous people say all lives matter. Why are we saying Black Lives Matter? And the reality is, yes, all lives matter. And all lives don't matter unless Black lives matter. And guess what? In the hoop of life, if the red direction, the indigenous people are gone, the hoop is not complete. If the yellow direction, the Asian direction people, if they're not there, if the hoop is not complete. And the black direction, the West direction, if the black people aren't there, treated as part of dignity and the hoop of life, the hoop is not complete. And the North, the white direction, if white people aren't there, the hoop is not complete. And they're keepers of the fire. So this hoop of life, it is a way of view, it is a worldview. And it is also one that came from Earth itself, from indigenous people who were the first scientists. And now for some years, we have very famous scientists, you know, E.O. Wilson from Harvard, on a biologist, who's showing us at a very, at the micro level, the intimate interconnection of everything. And then even if you're not into studying scientists and quantum physicists and stuff, we're looking at it now, this little bug that has corona has taken us all around the earth to be in one narrative. I mean, they take different takes on it, but still the narrative. And we're seeing how intimately interconnected. So what we do halfway around the world has an impact here and vice versa. We know this. Our power is incredible. And our responsibility is equally, if not greater, in care for ourselves and every other being that's a part of our relations of the hoop of life. Oh, I love that. Uh, it's it's so important. I'm, I'm so excited to be sharing, or for you rather, to be sharing this message with our listeners because it, it's such a, a critical thing to keep in mind that, that everybody, all people are, as you say, part of the hoop of life. And I, I know mm -hmm. that you do a lot of coaching and speaking and, and consulting as well. And I, I would love for you to share with us in your experience, what, what do you find are the biggest issues with your clients that, that your clients may face in their organizations and their companies and communities? And then how do you implement, or I guess rather teach these companies and organizations how to implement the four sacred gifts or rather indigenous wisdom in general? Yes. Yes. Well, there are many, many methods, methods, but I'll just share one that one that I think is really, really powerful. So there came in the 80s, um, positive psychology, we used to always study, um, you know, sickness, 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 and we still study and we need to, right, because we need to find the cure to things. But back then, um, the psychology Association of psychologists realized, but what about wellness? What about that? What it, let's learn more about what it means to be well. So when I go in and I feel like a lot of what indigenous wisdom is about um, is showing us, sharing with us what it means to be it well. What is well-being, which comes totally out of a healthy relationship with yourself and other people and the earth itself. So I use positive psychology and all those methods in terms of being purposely what what does it look like when it's working well? What does it look like when healthy? And I weave these gifts in there for people to be able to use to help share their story because it's through story, as you know, and what you do, the power of that, that people can hear rather than bullets. 
So that's part of the work because the biggest thing when I get brought into organizations is generally for an executive themselves who wants to have some confidential coaching because no matter how big a vision you have, no matter how much you have even tens of thousands, if not a couple hundred thousand people part to, a part of implementing that vision, you will become a barrier if you are only using the gifts of unity and of hope. Powerful. Use them. But you also need to be doing your healing and forgiveness because you'll be somewhere consciously or unconsciously blocking the ability for it to go bigger. And that's what we need to do. So I use positive psychology. I use talking circle, which a lot of traditions use circle. The indigenous people are the first peoples all over the earth who use circle. So we do a lot of work in circle. Um, just being able to listen, innovation, creativity, all those things come from listening, not yelling at each other, but really listening and bringing in all of that without a lot of judgment up front because you want to bring it all in there. And then, so really what I do using many, many different methodologies, I'm certified in all sorts of different areas, but I weave the grounded, that foundational piece, even doing my race work, um, which is pretty tough doing right now and really up the possibility of us making some real headway is that I come from love. I come from that we're connected and that doesn't mean we don't hold ourselves and each other accountable for behavior that is hurtful, even killing, but we also, how we do that is really critical. So I just show in businesses and working with individuals, uh, lots of different patterns and things that they know within themselves of how to reintegrate memory how to come into oneness with who you are in your ancestors, um, organizational ancestors, and then where are you now so that you really can have fun dancing and I say it's dancing together uh, to be in harmony with all your similarities and all your differences in the workplaces. And we can do this virtually. It's I've had some of the most amazing ceremonies, not the same as face-to-face but in talking circles with people with business and philanthropists and scientists and just the power of people right now and understanding, wait a minute, we have to make this work because life itself depends on it. Yeah. And I think that goes a lot back to what you were saying before about really the hoop of life or being complete in this hoop. And I think that applies really quite nicely to organizations and companies and, and how people work together mm-hmm. and it really is very much in line with your work of bringing people together. And so I, I think that's something that's pretty amazing about your work as well, is that it's very applicable to probably a wide variety of different situations and industries, because at the end of the day, we're talking about people and their connection to each other and then also to the world at large. Yes. And so when you said that, uh, Patrick, something came through that it- I, I just want to share. So in terms of hope, because a lot of business leaders, smaller, large global ones, asking the same thing, what am I, what am I to do? You know, I, feeling the pressure of how do they keep serving their customers? How do they make sure their employees are safe? So all these kinds of things. And, and now with COVID and then now with the whole race, the cry for justice and people being able to see for the first time things that they whether consciously or unconsciously we're in denial about, but now it's like in the face and going, wait a minute, no more. What do we do? And so I want to suggest um, the acronym for hope. 
which is hearts open. So whatever you're doing, these three are some essential steps. Hearts open, which is basically saying you don't leave your mind behind, but open your heart because we're talking about humanity, whether we're talking about doing your business or we're talking about dealing with this time of being sheltered in or loss of family, neighbors, death to COVID and other things and, and to racial injustice. So hearts open. Possibility is the P in hope. The leader, leader of your life, leader of organizations, corporations, your job is a part is to help create the space and grace for the possibility, the vision, and let others share in co-creating that vision. So possibility is needed. No movement movements have ever happened by just spiraling downward in the pain. The pain is seen for what it is, but there's always a vision. As Michael Beckwith says, vision, pain pushes till vision pulls. So oh, that I vision, love that. <laughs> that. That is really critical. And then the final in hope is E, engagement. It is not a time. It's time to have time for reflection. So always you're going inward. It's inward work and outward. And it's time not to hide out, but to find your voice. And that's, you've been finding your voice for some time, Patrick, through this vehicle you are sharing in this prophecy. You are part of this. You're, you're part of the millions who are those stick people that I saw when I was three. We all have roles. And when we can see each other and for the contribution of what we're doing, then we understand the intimate interconnection, the interdependency. So engagement is critical. And in that engagement is not coming out necessarily and say, oh, I have the answer, I have the answer. Because, whoa. Um, come out actively listening, actively sharing both what you know, what you're confused about, what you need to learn more about. And then you go back and you do your study and you're learning more. And then you come back out and you engage, engage, engage. So hope, hearts open, possibility, engagement. If you don't know what to do, start with those acronym, acronym of hope and use these four gifts. And I feel pretty, pretty darn sure that this wisdom, which already is in you, is going to serve you, especially in these, what can be just really like riding the waves. <laughs> I feel like it's so day to day. We can deal with the uncertainty. We can deal with all of this. We have those tools in us. We have, that's part of our makeup. Uh, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, these things, as you're t talking about them, they're just making me smile because I, th I think it's such a crucial philosophy to to live by in these ways to to follow your hope acronym. And as as you know, so much of what we talk about on this podcast is about the importance of connecting and and relating to one another and. Uh, a lot of what is embedded in in this hope acronym that you just described. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on on uh, how that we can apply this to the digital world. A lot of what we also discuss on this podcast is really like how do we maintain human connection when technology is continuing to advance and sometimes our, our attention is often diverted to the online world. I guess, how can we practice indigenous wisdom in an age that is very much in the online space? Yes. So first I would want to just honor this technology 
Because again, from an indigenous view, everything is sacred. It doesn't mean it's always used in a sacred way, but it is sacred. We wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be able to, you know, while we're sheltered in to still be able to connect even visually as well as auditorily in various ways. So I'm grateful for that. And wisdom, what I share with people is every day, find some time to turn off your smartphone, turn off your computer, because you can't Google wisdom. I don't mean anything negative to Google. However, you can look up what the word means, but really the wisdom requires some quiet, the power of listening to oneself. And we can just get spiraled. We already know some of the the medical things about, and you know it far better than me being in technology. Um, you can start feeling sick after a while, just being on these things all the time. And your brain gets even shorter, shorter time span where, oh, oh, if you can't tell me this in a couple of seconds, well, that doesn't make for profound, intimate interconnection with human beings. Actually, I don't know that it does with much of anything. So close that down every day. I'm not, I'm not going to take mine away. I'm not, wouldn't let anybody take mine away, but just shut it down. If, if it scares the heck out of you, just even do 15 minutes. We're truly just be quiet. You don't have to go into long meditation, although meditation is a great practice. All sorts of things, walking out in nature, um, different ways that we can just clear our minds and be able to just drop, drop into our hearts. That's part of the practice that we can do in, in my business work when we were together, oftentimes we'd be in the middle of some really difficult conversation and we'd only get so far or innovation scientists figuring out something. I said, okay, let's stop, pair up, go outside, do a couple block radius, whatever way you want. Um, and they shut down all their, they go out and they would be like, oh my gosh, we didn't even talk to each other very much, but I could, we could feel each other. We could sense each other's presence. I was breathing in a different way. I've come moving and all these things. So we have all of that capacity. That doesn't come through these machines, these technology. We need each other. Human beings need each other. The baby dies if it's not held. Adults also do suffer, if not just die, because we need that. And I'm not being dramatic. There's all the science behind that as well. So we're seeing now in COVID, immediately Zoom, you know, quadrupling and more in size, all these different ways of people getting in touch with each other and now meeting with each other in backyards across the fences, because we need each other. And so I, I think that possibility of human beings dropping the illusion of separateness and picking up an understanding of our interconnection. That may be as horrific as the hurts that's happened. That may be a huge gift of COVID, a huge gift of even the cry for social justice of how much we are impacting each other, whether we know it or not for either being bad medicine, hurting each other or good medicine, aligning each other in a spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical way. We, we really matter to each other. Wow. This is, this is resonating with me so much. I'm so, I'm so excited that I was able to get you on the show because really what you're saying is what I want to be sharing with the world is, is really the importance of 
of needing each other and and spending that time together and dropping, as you said, into each other's hearts. I think that's it's so critically mm-hmm. important. So, uh, Anita, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. I I not only appreciate you being on the show, but I just again, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. It's it's work that's so important nowadays, and it's work that I'm I'm really hoping resonates with more and more people as time goes on, because it, it really is a matter of tapping into who we are and into our hearts. Like, like you said, the gifts in a lot of ways are already there within us. It's just uncovering mm-hmm. them and being able to use them to our fullest capacity to be able to connect with each other and connect the world with the world as well. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. You're most welcome. And if people want to hear more, learn more, if they could go to foursacredgifts.com, that's F-O-U-R, sacredgifts.com, they can learn a lot more about these gifts. There's a free song there that they can download uh, that has a lot of the messages. And um, they can also learn about my work with business, but foursacredgifts.com. And I so appreciate you, Patrick, and you're uh, wonderful. I love the way you just let the interview flow. And you are you are contributing. You are sharing this prophecy. And I so appreciate you and so do the elders for allowing us to have this time to share these important gifts that are already in each other's hearts and bodies, souls, spirits, everything. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thanks. So that means, that means so much to me. I have one last question for you, Anita, before we head out, if that's okay with you. Yeah, Sure. How can we as a society better relate to one another? I think fundamentally, I'm going to go to listening. I think we could relate more to each other if we could relate more to ourselves. You know, if we listen to ourselves, what's going on inside our bodies and hearts and our minds, we would begin to, I mean, really listen to see where things are really healthy and where things need work that would be called on to heal because whatever is happening inside ourselves, unless we listen to that and then move forward, we're going to project that on others. So for us to relate in a sacred way, in a healthy way, a life-giving way, a happy way, a kind way to someone else, it's going to be a lot easier if we already are doing that with ourselves. Now we don't have to wait, just keep working on it because we're, none of us are finished products. (laughs) We're just going to keep on. But so I think the gift that that listening is underlying every one of these gifts to make the most of forgiveness, unity, healing, and hope. We need to listen. So listen more. Listen more to yourselves and to others before feeling like you need to take all the space and words and and things or even jumping to action. Listen and listen some more and then do some action and listen some more and then do some action, but have it informed with some really deep, true listening. Well, Anita, you've given us so much to reflect on after tuning into this episode. And it's great. I'm, I'm really hopeful that a lot of us are going to take what you've taught us today and really begin to implement them into our own lives. And for our listeners out there, I highly recommend checking out uh, the uh, it was four, four sacred gifts, right? Foursacredgifts.com. And yeah. I'll, I'll be sure to include that link in the show notes as well for our listeners. So they could just 
scroll down and click that link provided. So Anita, thank you so much again. We, we've, we've gotten so many gifts from you that we will then be able to give to others uh, in, our, in our days moving forward. So thank you so much. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.